In this episode, we get a little Ayn Randy with Atlas Shrugged. Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Elliot Kalin. And I'm Jubin Parang. <laughs> Hold on. What, 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 I, wait, wait, I know. what did you it's do with Stuart? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Stuart and I are switching places for a while in life. Like He's going to do my thing. I'm going to do his thing. So more like a wife swap switch and not like a pee in the same magic fountain switch. I would say more like a prince and the pauper thing. I mean, oh, I, didn't see, I didn't see Stuart at work today. So, I mean, I guess he's slacking off. Uh, already in this like switching yeah, lives might, thing, like you, you may not job. have a job when you come back. Oh, because I, yeah, I'm doing most of his work and my own work at the same time. Yeah, Sounds- I think Stuart may be running some sort of grift on you, or a con, or think he's or doing it a to grift or a gun. No, no, he's doing it to pay for his sick grandmother. Oh, to pay for her heart surgery. And I think you that poor sweet. I mean, lamb. it made a lot of sense when he said it. It was really oh. <laughs> oh, well. Man. Still. We're happy to hear you here. Hear you here at the podcast. Have you here too? Yeah, but hear you. Hear pleasure you. To be here. It's important that we hear you because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure to hear here. If we could only see you, it would be a problem for the listeners at home. <laughs> yeah, although you are doing some hilarious stuff. Yeah. Um, nope, that's a lie. <laughs> so he's just sitting there talking into a microphone. We have to establish trust between us and the listeners. Yeah, that's true. Okay, oh no, an elephant. Listeners, uh, all of you at once, uh, fall backwards and we will catch you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we were this distracted a for a moment. We never intended to do it, though. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, about we're it. liars. We're assholes. Well, it was our own rational self interest, which leads us <laughs> oh, to tonight's. No, it doesn't really movie. explain why we did Not that. Not really. So, what was our movie tonight, Dan? It was a movie called Atlas Shrugged, part one. You know, it was, yes. a, it was a movie about you know Atlas, more like, Atlas more like, being like hold on, hold on, eh, eh. <laughs> more, more like Atlas shrugged fart one. Oh, oh my word review, comedian <laughs> Elliot Kalen. Uh, but so, yeah, so so do your Atlas shrugging impression again. Eh. <laughs> okay, that's him. It uh, it, it actually was. It's it was. Intended to be part one of two or three of three, of three. Sure? A trilogy. You, you yeah, because yeah, I looked it up on on Wikipedia. A trilogy. It was going to be a, yeah, the exact opposite of a trilogy because <laughs> this was maybe the least thrilling movie we've watched. Yeah. Although I th- I think this maybe was not quite as boring as Whiteout. I don't know. I you know you were much more bored by Whiteout. Um, I mean, they did have Kate Beckinsale running away from a killer, but it was still super boring somehow. I mean, this movie was mostly about metallurgy and and trains and the train industry. Yeah, I people saying people's names over and over again. I remember the last time I uh, stepped in for Stewart with you guys. Mm -hmm. We watched that Nicolas Cage movie, uh, Trapped. Or oh, uh, taken? No. Hostage? Hostage? Uh, trespass. Taken. Trespass. Tres- trespass. Which was great. Trespass. And it was a pretty good movie. Like, I had a, a good time fun. watching it, and I oh. sort of assumed this would be the same. Yeah, you assume mm-hmm. No, you shouldn't. Have. I did not have a good time watching that was this the movie. Rare, that was the rare Flophouse movie where we enjoyed watching it, even though it was stupid. I, yeah. Wow. I did not know that was, that was part of the exception last time. Mostly it's a slog. Mostly uh, a slog house. We should be the slog house. Yeah. Well, you yeah. should call it that. Well, I mean, job. we were going to call it the slog house, but we were afraid it was too 
too close to the Slaw House, our podcast about slaws, mm-hmm. coleslaw. Um, I think it's just a matter of pronouncing there, that hard G, there, just are, making sure you hate are it. There, are think. there any other kind of slaws? <laughs> Cabbage slaw? Is that there's the coal variety of slaw? <laughs> and you guys are on your hundredth episode of that of the, of the slaw I cast know. too. We have really found yeah. well, we, to talk about coal. We, yeah. <laughs> we keep thinking we're going to get on to other slaws, <laughs> but we keep having more things to say, and about I guess coal. we just never really. Slaw, comma, coal. <laughs> so, uh, Elliot. Yes. I really need you to do your usual job. And I need you movie. too, Dan, in my life. <laughs> Thanks for being my friend. I appreciate it. Jubin, sure. you're all right, too, I guess. Hey, I'm just glad to be part of this this whole thing, you know? And thanks to all our fans who showed up uh, last huh? week at our live show. Well, yeah, you, no, were, you were there. You, you were not, not you I, that. I mean, we're, all, we're all part of the same, uh, same, same group no, when, here. When you so. I mean, you're with part Stuart, of the Floppiverse. When you switched with Stuart, you didn't get Stuart's pass. Big thanks to the fans. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> okay. Maybe you guys don't want to thank them, but I No, but no, I we always want to thank them. We thank them all the times. That's what I'm doing. I mean, I guess I think I think the Jubin is trying to supplant Stuart in that he's <laughs> everyone wants to be sucking Stuart. up to the fans. Jubin, Al Madrigal, everyone mm-hmm. wants to be Stuart. He seems like he a pretty put together guy. I pretty blessed that, life. I was watching oh. the photos from uh, that uh, live show you guys. I, I mean, we were, we were just right. talking oh, about uh, how on like Facebook uh, there was a lot of chatter about how handsome Stuart is. Yeah, it didn't make us feel good. No, did not. The consensus seems to be that Stuart is handsome and I am short and Dan is some sort of default human. Yeah, I'm just average. <laughs> I'm just 100%. I am like the baseline of what like a man... If, if there was a mold, like, that if there was like a blank mannequin and yeah. God molds it to be an individual, Dan somehow escaped the factory. <laughs> not too good, not too bad. Mannequin. I mean, I thought that with the, at least with America's obesity epidemic that I would have shot up in the rankings, but apparently I'm still at you know base zero. No, you still yeah. Move. Yeah, you move along with the average, yeah. It's weird. It's a moving curve. Yeah. But um speaking it, of moving curves. Uh <laughs> railways. Railway trains. Trains. Okay. trains reared in metal. So is that what you were saying, Dan, is you're gonna need me to summarize this plot? Yeah, because I honestly for a movie that in the broadest outlines is very simple, I could not follow the like the the intricacies of the uh the, the business intrigue. Well there was a lot of talk about the strength of different metals and legislation and uh, companies, but mm-hmm. it's all pretty simple at the base. The year is 2016. Okay. And due to something, <laughs> sure. oil is not available. As a result, planes don't go and neither does cars. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And so trains are the new huge mode of transportation. Now, yeah, how are these trains powered? I, that's, I don't understand. Uh, oil. But that's... <laughs> okay. Uh, Colorado oil, no less. Like, there's a lot of oil in Colorado in this world. Apparently, yeah. In the world of Atlas Shrugged, Colorado might as well be called Colorado oil. <laughs> Coloroidal? Coloroida. Sounds like Colorado's, like, really they should just call it, juiced up on... They should just uh, call yeah, it oil Saudi city. Colorado. Just call it oil city. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, and oil at one point they mentioned that gas is at $37 a gallon or something like that. Very expensive. Now, this is to explain why trains are the rail, uh, the mode of transportation of the future since this is a book that was written in the 50s, I believe. I think, yeah. When trains were still pretty cutting edge as opposed to now when trains are kind of like the horse and buggy of transportation. Although I guess the horse and buggy of transportation would be the horse and buggy. Uh, trains are the trains of transportation. Yeah, that's – 
<laughs> That's a good metaphor. But so we're introduced. To Why couldn't they have updated this from modern? You know, like these are jets that need like super super strong steel, or even like make it a monorail. Just make it like slightly futuristic. They, they, that is be, even at one point because the whole point of this uh, 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 the, the plot, the engine on which this plot turns is that this innovative entrepreneur creates a new type of metal for rail this lines. This guy Reardon, Hank Reardon. Hank Reardon has a new type of metal that is stronger and lighter and cheaper than steel. But for some reason, the government and other companies are worried it's going to put other companies out of business, so they're trying to stop him from using it. And there's a grand conspiracy for scientists to say that this metal is unsafe. Because these scientists are funded by the government, which at one point our hero, who we haven't mentioned her name yet, Dagny Taggart, finds out when she's in – what well, looks to be a science church. It looks to be like this huge. It's the Institute of Science or Science Institute of Science Instituting, and it's like a church slash courtroom for science. And they're like, "It's the best metal we've ever seen, but we have to say it's bad, or they'll pull off funding, and then our science." Yeah, what like, will happen to our precious science? <laughs> and so Dagny Taggart is one of the two co-heads of Taggart Trains, uh, and her brother is the other co-head. He is a nincompoop. Who believes in cooperation and fairness and helping out people who are poor? Sounds like a real loser. And he, he is. is. He's running their train company into the ground, which is hard to do when the trains are on rails that are on the ground. But you have to also... dig. You have to dig a hole, <laughs> run the rail into the hole, and yeah. then I and guess then, jump then, out of the train as it as it jumps into the hole. Yeah, and then those rails have to be vertical. Vertical at that point, and yeah. it's hard to not derail. You have to have artificial gravity to, to keep the or magnets to keep the train attached to the down rails. In a way, he's a genius. He just <laughs> so destructive ends with a it. mad genius. The thing of it is, though, despite his nincompoopery, he has a lot of friends in Washington, <laughs> which is. Is a phrase the movie uses all the time. Friends to, in Washington, they to, say over and over. To explain any lobbying influence, it's just friends in Washington, which up to now I'd never heard outside of a negative political ad. Yeah. Uh, and they, it's just like, well, th- that's because this is basically a negative political ad stretched to feature length, but we'll get to that. Yes. Let's finish with the exciting story okay. of, of Dagny Taggart. Right. Uh-huh. The and very believable name of real. Dagny Taggart. Yeah. Uh, she is a genius who is tired of having to suppress her own strengths and individual will for what other people consider as the greater good. She wants to bring this train company back. So she's going to make a deal with Reardon to relay hundreds of miles of train track and start up a new train line. These other train lines, the uh, El Norte and the Phoenix El Dorado or something like that. The Phoenix Durango. Phoenix Phoenix Durango. That's right. Uh, For some reason, they are failing. Uh, So she's going to start. She wants to bring the train lines back, but the government is coordinating with businesses to crush her business in particular in order to keep things cooperative so that people don't succeed. It's all very like – it's like trying to hold on to smoke. Like I'm trying to remember what happened in this movie and it's disappearing. You know, like this is like a Harrison Bergeron sort of society where like no one can be better than the others. Yeah. It's like it's they, – they're trying to – and the government institutes a law that makes it illegal for anyone to own more than one business and they have a law called the Anti-Dog-Eat-Dog Act that makes it so that trains have to cooperate with each other I guess. Uh, but Dagny Taggart decides – I'm going to leave Taggart Trains. I'm going to start my own company. Dag- I'm going to Dagny Taggart. By by the way, anyone named Dagny Taggart should be an adorable female cop. Like, <laughs> you know, like just like a, a rookie, but she's got a lot of sass. Yeah, Dagny Taggart. <laughs> it can be two different types of shows. There's the comedy version, Dagny Taggart, Wednesdays at eight. Yeah. But there's also Dagny Taggart. Can a rookie Wednesdays survive life? <laughs> And then at nine, there's a t- there's I guess a totally different show. <laughs> 
Scrubs reruns, probably. Now she calls this Scrubs reruns. This is a network. They can run an hour of of reruns of some other network show. NBC is desperate right now. Just Scrubs reruns. There's a good Wednesday night lineup. I'll for NBC. The great thing about the different Dagny Taggart shows, too, is that she's played by a different person in both shows. <laughs> but the rest of the cast is exactly the same. Uh, so Dagny Taggart's going to call her new train line the John Galt's line. Now, what does that mean? Well, throughout the film... Elliot, who is John Galt? That's a good question. A question we hear 40 million times throughout the film. <laughs> Everyone's asking, who's John Galt? And sometimes it's just a response to a retort to a question that has no answer. Like, you go like, Who's John Galt? Like, as a way of saying, like, hey, there's no way to answer that. But sometimes it's like a code password between people who know that there's some thing going on. There's some shadowy, mysterious figure in a trench coat and a hat who walks up to businessmen on the street and goes, How would you like to live in a world where individual creativity is rewarded? I can take you to a place where you can be as, where you can work for your own good and not have to worry about working for somebody else's. And they're, instead of them being like, what are you, crazy person? <laughs> like, I don't even understand why you're talking that way. They're all intrigued and they disappear. So all these businessmen are going missing. They and, don't even ask for follow-up. They're gone with him that very first yeah, they meeting. Leave, they don't and you even... have to assume they leave their families behind, their houses, their pets. Like One of the really, guys sets fire to his business. He yeah, just this, lets it burn. Yeah, there's a guy named... Like, uh, that's not my life anymore. Yeah. A guy named Ellis Wyatt who is like the last of the independent oil drillers. And he discovers this big sea of oil in Colorado. And the government above another sea of natural gas too. Like the yeah. way he describes it, it just look it's just nothing but profit all the way down, all the way down to the core of the earth, which is made out of uh, I guess it's like gold, baby, sweet <laughs> bullion. It's made out of it's made out of super gold, it's super like gold. worth more than regular gold because you need it too. Because <laughs> you can eat it. Yeah, it's like gold cheese, uh, but it tastes delicious because it's been aging in the in the center of the earth naturally. Uh, he is working with Taggart and Reardon. Reardon and Taggart also have something of a romance. Taggart is in an, a loveless marriage to a woman who does not understand how important his new metal is to him. Yeah. And he supports... I mean, for God's sakes, he gives her bracelets made out of his new, new I have metal. I to admit, he makes a bracelet out of the first ever pouring of new Reardon metal and gives it to her as a gift. And that really is a very... like a. That should be a gift to cherish. Like he's what he's saying to her is, "This is my deepest dream. Is this new metal? This is the culmination of all my work. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing it with I'm you. I'm sharing it with you. The very first example. I want it to be yours as well as mine." And she's like, "Everyone else in this movie is a bitch or an asshole." She's like, "This is a present. A real woman. A real husband would have gotten a woman diamonds. Oh, oh. Well, it's the thought that counts, I guess. Oh, blah, blah. And later on, Dagny. That Tiger, is only a slight exaggeration of that scene. No, she's in with. She's there with house guests in Hank Reardon's own house, and in they're all mansion. openly insulting him. Yeah, they're all, all agreeing that this is a terrible gift. Just like right in his own house. Later How on, she, she trades Dagny Taggart that bracelet for a diamond necklace. And she's like, I was just going to give it to my maid. Here, throw it in the fire. It's like, wow. With, a- with Hank Reardon right there, too. Like This doesn't yeah. let up. And that's the one time I feel bad for Hank Reardon, because he is a dick and an asshole <laughs> the whole time. And he's like a rich man. He has this huge company. He has, his, he has a mansion that he lives in. And he throws these big parties. Throws one big party, I guess. And But he's like, Meh, people don't like me. Yeah. Everyone's out to get me. I'm rich. Meh. And But there's that when he gives her that bracelet and she doesn't appreciate it, you do feel bad for him. Anyway, so Taggart and Reardon fall in love. They do it once. And then they go on a cross-country trip 
to find. I haven't finished with Wyatt Ellis. So Wyatt Ellis is, <laughs> is they they get into a business uh, partnership. Wait, Ellis Wyatt, I think, right? Ellis Wyatt. Ellis yeah. Wyatt. Ellis Wyatt, and the two of them go into a business partnership. There's a lot of crappy names. A lot, in this. Of, na- a lot of first names as last names in this thing. <laughs> uh, Ellis Wyatt then disappears. John Galt takes him away, or the shadowy figure takes him away, and. Meanwhile, Taggart and Reardon go on like a cross-country trip. They go to a, an abandoned motor factory and find a new kind of motor that was abandoned that uses atmospheric pressure to create static electricity. And they go to great lengths to explain how this thing works. They take about three minutes of just talking to each other. And it's like one of those conversations on the West Wing where Aaron Sorkin's like, I need to explain how this one legislative maneuver works. I could show it happening I'll just have two characters explain it to each other, and they'll just alternate lines from a paragraph, like from a textbook. So they have one of those conversations, and they go on a long trip to try to find the man who invented this. And it means talking to a woman at a horse ranch, talking to a woman hanging up laundry, talking to a scientist who now runs a a diner. and Talking to some guy just in a farm, just sort of hanging out, like at a table eating cheese. There's some guy who was just... At one point, they walk by just some old guy who's with a beard, sitting on like what looks to be a picnic bench. I don't remember that part. I maybe there was another scene in the movie. <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff bleeds together. Well, and it's and you have to under, assume that John Galt stole this guy away so he can use his magic technology wherever all these famously rich people are going. And as the movie ends, uh, Dagny Taggart Reardon goes back to try to run his company. He's had to spin off all of his subsidiaries because the government has outlawed the owning of more than one company at once. Uh, and as the this evil senator has become the new head of this Office of Coordination, Mm -hmm. which is going to run the nation's economy. Played by the actor who brings uh, Barton Fink out to write a wrestling picture in Barton Fink. Yeah, and John Polito, also from Barton Fink, and The Last Godfather is in this movie also, (laughs) as an evil government type. All And... uh, all the evil evil people look kind of ethnic uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, but uh, the and John Polito is the most ethnic of all of them. But uh, Dagny Taggart finds that Wyatt Ellis has Ellis Wyatt <laughs> has dis Wyatt Ellis is a name. Ellis Wyatt is not a name. <laughs> that Ellis Wyatt has set fire to his enormous Colorado oil well and disappeared, and that's his last fuck you to America, I guess. Uh, and the movie ends, and it says. Uh, and part one, you know, end of part one or something like that. Uh, but what I've just told you, so that's about, well, we've spent about, what, six minutes, ten minutes yeah, talking about know. it? At That is stretched out over an hour, almost an hour and 40 minutes of people talking about the various strengths of metals, uh, what legislation could do to their companies, yeah. how their company's going to be run out of business, and that's stitched together with so much footage of trains. Like, yeah. Tons of trains. Like, I thought, like, this is a movie. You could take out all the dialogue, and this would just be a train-spotting movie. And I could just imagine elderly English people just watching this movie, stamping their booklet to say that they've seen the trains in the movie, and then going back to their, you know, tea and their scones. Yeah, well, even that almost impenetrable uh, summing up that you gave, filled with names of random folks, uh, is uh, more exciting than the movie we just watched, which took place in a series of lobbies made up to look like uh, offices and restaurants <laughs> and just people having meetings about things yeah. and uh, interspersed with them going to look at, I don't know, metal being made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... It's, it's almost like the movie was shot guerrilla style. Like, okay... 
we're in the lobby of this building. Like, <laughs> sit at that table, pretend it's a restaurant. We've got five minutes until security <laughs> kicks us out. All right, we found this stock footage of metal being made. <laughs> like, just stick it in there. There were so many landscape shots, too. Every time they would get in a train, they would just sort of shoot to mountains, just in tree-covered mountains, just for like 30, 40 seconds, without the train in the shot even at yeah, all. Yeah, not even shots of the train sometimes, just shots of scenery. Yeah, time here was a real – was very badly uh, – uh, paced out. It was very badly uh, uh, like marked off. Like they were at one point, they took an hour and a half train ride that felt like it took multiple hours. It felt like it took days. It, uh, yeah, maybe even days. I, I, the whole point of it was that they were going to go over a bridge that was going to be uh, a new bridge that was made out of Reardon metal. And now, because of the science conspiracy, everyone except Taggart and Reardon was sure this metal would break and kill everybody on the train. But instead, it held up, and they went over this bridge. So it was like, and then and the national news is covering breathlessly that yeah. a new train line has opened, and it's going to go over a bridge. Like, they, there are reporters at the point where they get on the bridge. There are reporters when they get off the train. There's <laughs> reporters. This is a huge event. Uh, there's but nothing then, else going on in this world but trains. But then later, after this hour, this hour and a half train ride that feels like it takes multiple days to cover, they then go on this country-spanning road trip to find out who made that engine, which takes them, at the very least, from Wisconsin to D.C. to Wyoming, and at one point back to Wisconsin. I think they might go to Texas at one point. Uh, to Texas at one point, in, in, by car, not even by like a high-speed train, by car, and that seems to take the, over the course of one day. <laughs> it's, it like, seems to well, be, it's like a long afternoon. <laughs> it definitely seems to be something that does not seem to take as, as long as you would think it does. And also, she says to, at one point she says to Reardon, I need the metal. Can you get me the metal to build this bridge in six months? And he goes, I'll do it in three months. And then, like, two scenes later, the bridge is finished. Like, and nothing seems to have happened in that span of three months. It's a, it's a, yeah, time works very weirdly in this movie. It's yeah. kind of like uh, they forgot that, may, may, or maybe the movie, it feels like when they were when they were making it, they assumed the movie was real time. You know, like, I don't actually I don't, have a strong sense of... That when I watch a movie, until seeing this movie, I've never really thought too much about how time is demarcated in in a film. But this, for the first time, made me think, wow, other films must have a sense of how yeah. to pace yeah. out time. Because this – Because they no are one, doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's this was so egregious. It suddenly made me realize that there's an actually a science. There's an art to doing this. It's amazing because it's like – this was a $20 million movie, which is not a lot – for a big movie, but $20 million is a lot of money, and you can make a really good movie for far less than $20 million. And it's a $20 million movie. It has real professional actors in it, but everything in it feels super in – like student film. Like it feels like a student film or super cheap and low budget, and there are times when I thought I was watching Birdemic. Like that's how cheap it looked wow. to me. <laughs> like the And the film stock was nicer than in Birdemic, but otherwise like it just felt like – the person behind the people behind this had no idea what they were doing in in making a movie. It felt like, and my, and maybe part of that was wanting to stick to the book so much that they had to distort. Well, let's talk about this, let's talk about a little book. bit uh, like the, the elephant in the room of this is that like I told I mentioned earlier in the podcast that there was an elephant. There is in an the elephant room. in this room. Yeah, what? literal elephant. Elliot mentioned that. Yeah, oh, that's true. It would be dishonest to the audience to pretend this elephant. Well, let's talk about yeah. the so other. His name's, his name's Jojo, <laughs> and I brought him over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about that elephant in the room. Okay. Now let's talk about something else, which is that. Uh, you know, like this book is based on the this Ayn movie. Rand. Uh, this movie is based on the Ayn Rand book that um, is uh, taken seriously as a political tome. 
Especially nowadays. Like, it's had this resurgence. It's, yeah, it's had a big resurgence politically. And it's one of those things where, like, I'd rather judge this. It's very easy to judge this movie on its politics because its politics are really crazy. But it's I'd like to judge it on its merits as a film, which are almost zero. Which are terrible. But, but, you, should, but you should bring up. That's but the, a good thing but, to mention. But, the, but, but it is crazy. This movie exists in a crazy world where, like, it's a, like the big complaint is that um, these people, these, these very wealthy people who own companies are being held back and punished by the government for innovation – and uh, like like the real power resides in the hands of scientists yeah. who have colluded with the government yeah. to uh, that part's true. Keep so back what, individual achievement. What part do you have a problem with? Because that's obviously true. <laughs> yeah. There's all. I mean, okay. Well, I I clearly misjudged the room here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just gonna back away well, from the it microphone. Means, I guess the thing is like. You can tell with every frame of the movie that the purpose of this movie was not like, this is a story we love, we've got to tell it, or like this is something that arouses a passion in me because of the drama and the characters. It's a – like you can, you'll, you've seen movies sometimes where like a director or a screenwriter adapts a story that – a book they loved and still kind of fucks it up. But you can tell that the passion is there, that, like, they did this – it was, like, a dream project for them. Even something like Across the Sea, which is such a shitty movie. But, like, you you can tell that playing Bobby Darren for God knows what reason was, like, a passion. Beyond the Sea. Oh, Beyond the Sea. Not Across the Sea. I'm sorry. Yeah. Beyond the Sea, that, like, playing Bobby Darren was a across passion. Across the Sea is that movie where Bobby Darren takes a solo flight across the Atlantic. To, <laughs> oh, yeah, where he was playing uh, Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh you can tell Kevin Spacey really wanted to do this, but here, like, even though he was way too old, yeah. Well, I think he'd wanted to do it for about thirty years, <laughs> but in this, it feels like they're doing this because they have to get this message out—the important message that that Rand had right. in her book—and this is the time for it. But it's such a weird message because, like, the thing about this movie is all the main characters, like, basically, this movie is about. A bunch of main characters who are totally awesome people, and their main problem is other people just aren't recognizing how awesome hey, they man, are. Hey, man, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you're being brought down by turkeys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you, you should know, probably make some sort of, like, t-shirt about that or, or something. Or a mug, yeah. 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 Let's, I, let's a sell t-shirt that mug. <laughs> a t-shirt you can drink coffee out of. <laughs> of course. Bitch. Who I haven't they called out of this before. It's brilliant. It's a great innovation. There needs to be some sort of tax on your product. Mm-hmm. Well, but I'm just to trying distribute to distribute to Dan and me probably, who have yeah. suffered very much. But you much. guys didn't come up with the idea. No, but, I came uh, up with it. But it's against, dictates. Yeah, it's against our human rights for you to employ us at mm-hmm. your factory. It seems like I'm being punished for my very success. Very high wage, which I assume. That's one thing that I was actually very surprised by because I thought that this movie would at the very least – give a really good summary of the Ayn Rand principles and what her underlying philosophy is. But it did not really seem to do that very no. well. The movie just sort of assumed you were on board with what she believed at the beginning, which is not an unfair assumption to make for this movie. If, I think you're, if I, you're watching this movie, you know, if you paid money to see it, you probably already believe it. But what that also means, though, is that the characters already believe this when the movie starts. They have no right. – they don't have a journey to, like, discover this for themselves. Well, it also has, like – the you know like the main character saying things like in what is clearly by the way ADR like it's like <laughs> over, over like a shot of a car driving somewhere it's like her being like what's with these people and their stupid altruistic instincts nowadays and, yeah, and it's yeah. Like, that is such a crazy thing for a movie to say that's you know the weird thing like in the book that statement the, the like that altruist uh, altruistic mm-hmm. instincts that attacking that comes. After a good after a good bit discussing why altruism is ultimately destructive and you know you don't need to go into that too much but it lays out pretty 
regularly that book about why altruism is is uh, is ultimately more destructive than helpful. But in this one, they just flat out say this, though they assume you know it. And if you don't already are on, if you're not already on that side, they sound like huge dicks. Yeah, they just sound like jerks. They, it's, it's, there's other points where like Hank, when someone says you don't really care about anybody but yourself, do you, Hank? And he's like, no, why should I? And not only is that kind of dickish thing to say, but later on in the movie, not he's... Kind of. <laughs> well, the I mean, most dickish thing you can say, true, I don't yeah. care about other people. <laughs> but it's also but it's also later on in the movie, is it's he is asked, like, why do you work so hard for all these people when you know they're parasites? And he just says, because I, I don't really care what they think. I, I care what I do. And that, that conversation itself is discussed a lot more in the book, and you understand why he's doing that in the book. But in the movie, it's all jumbled together and compressed so much that it, it does not make any sense. Yeah. What Hank Reardon believes, why he's doing what he's doing, where he has to go in order to come more closer to the Ayn Rand philosophy. It's, it, it's, like, it's, it's basically like someone just wrote like a, like a, hat, like a, a one-page paper on the Ayn Rand novel, assuming you already read it and you were just sort of like going to be on board with whatever so you're, you're you what you're doing is you are recommending the book like Atlas Shrugged as the finest work you love it. thought. That it changed your life. History. I mean, I don't think you can really talk about art without talking about <laughs> Atlas Shrugged. I don't think, I don't think like, I mean, I want, it's sort of like in the sense like once that book came out, like the, sort of everything reset. Art yeah, kind of, of. There was no reason to read a book that was written before it. Yeah, like it said, it said everything that was worth saying. I think before. That, I think uh, it's the first recorded instance of a zombie because William Shakespeare burst from his grave and said, "That's what I was trying to say yeah. in all my plays, and I never achieved it." This level of beauty, and then he kissed Ayn Rand, and then he went to heaven. I guess his work on Earth was done. Yeah, no, it was, it was all leading up to that moment. It was all leading up to that moment. You yeah. know, I mean, the, this is actually like really my first experience with this story. I don't really know a lot. I mean, I, I have sort of like a broad strokes idea of, of objectivism, but I uh, like I don't beyond that have much at all. And and now you're convinced you've been converted. <laughs> yeah. Now uh, now you believe guys, A is A. Who is John Galt? <laughs> no, but uh, I, I don't know. They didn't tell us. That's the other thing is the movie is setting up this mystery, and they do it in such a shitty way that you're supposed to be like. Who is – when are we going to find out all about what happened with John Galt where those guys are going? But instead at the end you're no, just like – No, the movie stopped. Oh, we didn't learn. Yeah, exactly. But instead at the end you're like, all right, like <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I guess it works for that guy to go with John Galt. I, I don't guess know. those guys are what, dead now? No, I don't but know. what I was going to say though is like you guys were t- talking about it during the movie. I'm like it, it is clear to me that this movie only – like this story only makes sense in the context of knowing that Ayn Rand lived through uh, communism herself. That her family's – all of her family's property was taken by the communist government. Right. They had to flee Russia to the United States. And so that she imagines that this is a potential future for the U.S. The US. Well, in four when, years when uh, Obamacare has turned us all into slaves. I know, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, One thing, totally actually. T- forcing us all to be covered by health care is uh, <laughs> it's the first step. Slippery slope, guys. One thing that actually shows this, yeah, I, I don't know here's when. The, here's the thing. People talk about how bad slippery slopes are all the time. But you know what a slippery slope is? A water slide. It's pretty fun. It sounds it's awesome. It's fun to slide down. Does anyone not like a water slide? If no. you don't. And sledding? Exactly. It's great. Slippery slopes mm-hmm. are fun as all get out. Have you ever – okay, let's set Atlas Shrugged aside for a second. <laughs> slippery slope. Would you rather have a non-slippery slope so it, like, hurts and Boring. your body's getting rubbed? Like, have you ever 
gone down a slide yeah. and like you weren't quite sliding right. Maybe you're a little too big for it. Maybe the, they're chasing you because you're not allowed to be in that playground because you're not a kid. You're an adult <laughs> and you've been taunting some of the other kids, but you just want to use a slide. You're just telling them, move faster. Get out of my way so I can mm-hmm. use the slide. I have mm-hmm. a, I have to get, get to work mm-hmm. and they're going to find me again. Maybe fire me if I don't get to work, yeah. but I need to ride this slide and you kids are taking forever. And the uh, slide's maybe I, not big enough for you, so you start to fall down it, but like um, your arms rub along the sides and it really hurts. It's not slippery enough, so there's a lot of friction. Elliot, I it and they catch and like you gotta start pushing yourself down even faster because the guard from the park is I right behind you. I feel like I should tell you that I have called the police and reported you as a possible uh, sex offender <laughs> during this. I know. Uh, just because I didn't have pants on when I was on that slide, <laughs> does that make me a sex offender? It's a child's, <laughs> child's playground. What is a child? I believe I'm young at heart. <laughs> okay. I'm younger than a 70-year-old. To them, I'm a, I'm a little kid. Fair enough. <laughs> so if I bring an old man with me to the park... <laughs> It evens out. <laughs> Look, I know what you're talking about, but I think the underlying problem of this thing is that uh, a lot of one, one thing that I thought was really funny about it was that when it was showing who was disappearing with John Gold, early in the, the first guy who disappears, John Gold, is a banking CEO. And we were saying this earlier in the movie that like that would be the last person on Earth who would be missed if he disappeared <laughs> from the Earth. That knowledge is not necessary. Because uh, the assumption is that the people who are holding society together, the, the movers and the shakers and the doers and the thinkers are disappearing. And the first guy to go is he has a banking CEO. Yeah. It's like, all right, like mm-hmm. none of those guys know how to run their businesses. You need to <laughs> rebuild society, <laughs> guys. We're, got, we're, 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 we're building a spaceship to Mars. We need to get the most important people on board immediately. Number one, banking. Well, that's, it's like the, the guy who puts the derivatives together. <laughs> well, it's like the part in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the radio series, uh, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, for talking about the books, with the Golga Fringe and Arc B, which is they this planet wanted to get rid of all the people who don't do anything so they told them that the planet was about to be destroyed they were going to send out three arcs arc a was going to have the leaders and the visionaries and arc c was going to have like the inventors and the workers and arc b was going to have the middlemen and they just send arc b off into the you know in hopefully it'll just die off in space (laughs) and it's all and it's all like marketing executives and telephone sanitizers which is something i'd never heard of till i read that book as a kid and like it kind of feels like john galt is doing that like uh banking executives and uh ceos who mm-hmm. get a lot of money but don't do very much why don't you just come with me to this we'll, we'll live in a, in a valley somewhere and uh you guys can like pump your own water out of the ground mm-hmm. and feel like you're doing something great i don't it's know like it's good the old scene, double yeah. twist <laughs> yeah and they go to galt <laughs> they all think they're gonna get made by galt and they go to his garage and they just shoot him in the head <laughs> What actually? I would actually like the idea of, of up until that moment in the movie, Galt had actually been building a really great society of workers and, and innovators. But then once the banking guy gets there, within like three or four months, the whole place is collapsed and they're dead. And <laughs> well, like it's all I, I, John, it seems like we could create a number of financial products that will uh, enhance the value and like. Uh, I bundled these train derivatives together. Why are shoes suddenly selling for $400 a pair? <laughs> I've increased the value through uh, optimum spending by bundling those with uh, with these this dirt. <laughs> this dirt is worthless. Well, Someone's going to buy this I've, shirt. It's securitized, so <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a revolutionary financial product. I'm really maybe making... Maybe they're not. Maybe maybe it's worthless. Maybe it's worth a lot. I'm really this making be... Galt's Gulch into a, into a wonderland. This, be, this is like this is the sixth attempt attempt a critic in society John Galt has, has done every time he does the bankers eventually come in listen uh, John maybe we just leave the bankers out next time I don't know if we need them but we need the men who run the world listen John look I, they have the most money so they 
must be the most productive. It just goes uh, the reason. Galti, I don't know. <laughs> well, the other thing is that it, the implication is that obviously the people who are at the top of the social and economic chain are the most accomplished because they're the best and they're the most innovative when – the history of man is littered with innovators and inventors who created what we now ha- – like the building blocks of our society and civilization, but were not – did not become rich, savvy businessmen. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like those the, incentives the, were not financial with, with, that they, that they that drove them. The idea that one, only financial benefits and personal gain will drive someone to do something and two, that in a, in a totally free society – the best is always rewarded the most. Like it's it's just a crazy one thing. Actually, and they really don't get across that idea well with the endless scenes of trains and people talking in quiet, hushed tones in restaurants. Yeah, one one thing that actually this, this occurs in the book, and I, I remember laughing so hard when I read this because at one at, towards the end of the book, uh, Hank Reardon and some other guy, I think Wyatt Ellis or Ellis Wyatt, <laughs> but Mister 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 Wyatt Ellis was. <laughs> At one point, an oil well burst into flames. And the, oh, it must have been why, because he's a CEO of the oil company. And he and Hank Reardon jump onto a burning oil rig and begin to repair it as it's, as it's burning. The implication being that, like, because this CEO is a man who understands every aspect of his oil business, and that's how he became CEO. And I remember thinking that, like, Ayn Rand essentially predicting that, like, it, would this happen with Dick Cheney, like, five feet away from an oil rig? Dick Cheney would jump on that oil rig and just wrap his tie around his head and just go to town on fixing the oil rig. Wrap his tie around his head? Is he drunk at a party? <laughs> no, he had the sweat off. He's, the oil rig's on fire. Oh, He's okay. sweating a lot. It's a Rambo type thing. I've thought this through a lot, the idea of <laughs> Dick Cheney just fixing an oil rig that's on fire. And shirtless... His but it's that kind of idea. Listening. That's like oh, yeah. CEO Human means that you can do. Just pale skin. I mean, I've got watercolors if you guys want to look at them here. I've got some. <laughs> Why did you bring prefer, those with you? I just got some, I, it usually comes up when I'm in a conversation. Your skin tones are beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I spent a lot of time uh, just sort of working on these things. Yeah. You know? um, uh, so I guess what I'm saying, what we're all saying, is this is a really boring movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should wrap it up. I think that we can all agree. I don't even think we need to go through final judgments. I think we can all agree this is a bad, bad movie. Can we all just. Uh... I would say, and I, it's so easy to say it's a bad bad movie because it pushes a political viewpoint i don't agree with but then again there are many movies that push political viewpoints that i don't agree with that i love Mm -hmm. like almost any action movie or yeah your dirty harry's say your dirty harry's your um your straw's dog actually Mm -hmm. that's i wouldn't put that in that category (laughs) of movie that i love but uh like it it, if a movie parts of parts of uh, the dark knight Oh, yeah, almost all the Dark Knight. Yeah. Like, if, but like, the movie. I mean, I think that that has a, 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 an ambivalent feeling about a lot of what it presents. Sure, sure. But, uh. About its politics? Yeah. The, a movie has to work yeah, on I think a, there's on a, a push pull on that. But anyway, well, that's, that's different. Looking discussion. at politics, and yeah. Here's, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there's four levels that a movie has to operate on at least one, if not at least two of character, story, spectacle, and thrills. And by thrills, I just mean like, Spills and, and chills. Spills and chills are included. <laughs> in I don't necessarily mean just like thrills as in, you know, like action, but thrills as in like boobs. something that gets your heart <laughs> moving a little faster, whether that's boobs <laughs> or editing or camera work. Uh, and this fails oh, Or well edited from, boobs. From spectacle? Yeah. Spectacle, I would say, is more like scope and color. Spectacle is more the visual. Thrills could be just the momentum or, or speed, velocity of a film. Or the way it's constructed. These are just I'm coming up these categories sure, off sure. the top of my head, so <laughs> I'll refine it later, and I'll put up a blog post on my blog that doesn't exist, and then everyone can unlike it on Facebook, and oh, uh, we can have a comment battle mm-hmm. in a flame war. But anyway, you can detweet it. It fails. On, detweet it. Detweet it. <laughs> this this fails on a, a fails on a story level, 
character level, there's no spectacle, and there's no thrills. Like, there's nothing to grab you, and it's just like, it feels like watching a film strip or like a, it feels, or reading like a Jack Chick comic book where like, there isn't even the most basic rudiments of entertainment. The Jack Chick comic books have more thrills because like (laughs) people are burning in hell. They always end with somebody getting burned by Satan. I mean, like there's some sort of terrible sinning that happens at the beginning, which is exciting, and then there's the hell burning. Okay, you know what this actually reminds me? Jack Chick Chick had the share of titillation. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Okay, then I retract that comparison. I'll compare it instead to, there's a comic that was put out in, I believe, the 40s where... Dick Tra- the it was supposed to be a, a comic to teach you about sales, but it's a, it's in the form of a Dick Tracy comic where he solves a crime and a mystery. But in the middle, there's like an eight or nine page section where he's just talking to a manager at the restaurant about how important it is to customer service. The importance of customer service is what it is. That was like watching this was like reading that. It was like what? Okay, we're gonna do a Dick Tracy movie. Uh, and but it's mostly going to be him explaining the important points, the finer points of customer service and the philosophy behind that. <laughs> and then at the end, he'll punch a guy. So, a bad, bad movie all around. I think we can agree. Yeah. Yeah, by by very far. Oh, well, let's blood let's blood brother it. Everybody cut your palms open. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, this didn't hurt at all. Uh, 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 okay. okay. Suckers. Oh, <laughs> my palms are fine. Uh, I mean, they're kind of sweaty. I don't but know why we would do that to well friends and coworkers. Just become blood brothers now. Like, like just go you through see us so frequently, and now we're gonna. We're gonna. Every time we see you, we're gonna be thinking about that. Yep. 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 And eventually, you're gonna come to like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That's... I, there was a lot of pleasure with that pain. I'm not gonna lie about that. It felt really good. So um, I'm gonna pull up some. Uh, Flophouse mailbag letters here. Uh, Some letters from our fans. Yeah, well, Very no, nice. again, Julie. Very nice. No, I'm sure they Thank like you. Thank you for writing in. You have an entry, I think, in the Flophouse wiki, wiki page. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm part of the Flophouse. Uh, you, uh, this is just your second appearance. Again, Thank you. You're part of the Flopiverse. I don't One know. One thing that, that I would like to flop see, yes, I'd like to request that our fans, when they do write in, you to just write, make sure the, the writing is a little more concise than how it's usually been. Don't ramble Whoa. too much. Whoa. I feel like a lot of our fans sort of write. You know, this in, in ways way that sort of unload of a lot of their life on I to think, us. I mean, I'm, I see where you're going with this. I feel like your problem eventually is going to end up that there's a lot of talk about me and a lot of talk about Elliot and not a lot of talk about Juven. Well, that's one thing, yeah. There's one thing is I don't appear in these emails near as much as I'd like to appear. Well, you uh, never do. I'm also good, you know, I'm also a good person to ask questions, too. I can answer them. You're not going to be you know. here, though. Stuart's going to be back. Well, I can always, in other ways, and you know, other times I can I can answer. I can answer through my own Facebook page. Uh, I can be an administrator <laughs> on your, on the Flophouse page. Why would we make you an admin oh, on fans that? Fans can contact we'll me directly. How would they That's do that? So However, our fans want to get in touch with me. At a later I'm, I'm happy to we'll, get in touch. We'll, we'll revisit this. Let's table I think it. We will not revisit it. So this is... Titled uh, Giant Robot o- Anime, or Anime. Uh, it's from Paige and Devin, last name withheld. And, last names withheld. And it says, Dear Flophouse. <laughs> no one says withheld. Just wanted to clarify a minor error made by Stu and Elliot in the Three Musketeers episode. Is this about, like, Neon Genesis? The anime Evangelion? you thought you were refer- referencing in the mailbag portion when you were talking about Real Steel and Evangeline Lily's name was actually a mashup of two different anime. In Neon Genesis Evangelion, Evangelion, in Evangelion, the characters use giant robots to fight angels, with the fate of all existence being ultimately decided by an emo kid with daddy issues. The anime with the transforming robots that fight gigantic humanoid aliens and space bugs with a song is called 
Maycross. Oh, okay. Furthermore, these two very real shows should not be confused with the other real anime where the robots are powered by a still-beating dragon heart and need to suck your blood to move, which in turn should not be confused with the anime where the pilot of the robot is the Japanese Bruce Wayne who wants to have sex with his android maid and is either in the Matrix the whole time or might be a tomato. And of course, these bear no resemblance to the anime where the robots ride waves of light through the air on metal surfboards and the main character is in love with a girl that was crapped out by a giant sentient sea sponge not to forget the anime which i want to know the titles to where the robots are literally driven by hope and the power of spirals and become bigger by drilling and embedding themselves into other robots or the anime where when the smaller robots (laughs) combine into a giant robot all the pilots orgasm simultaneously that's voltron or the anime in which the (laughs) cockpit is located in the pit of the robot's cock might we suggest the creation of your own flophouse giant robot anime each Flophouse member, with their own color scheme and shouted catchphrase, would turn into a giant Flophouse robot. They would all fight crime on the mean streets of Duckburg. <laughs> Wait, we would crush Duckburg. <laughs> There's no one of giant size there. Keeping them safe for Scrooge McDuck and his lucky dime. You think that the Beagle Boys are going to be able to stand up against one mech, let alone three mechs? From the secret base under a Popeye's chicken. Yes. They're directed by a psychic alien, the Flophouse house cat, who is secretly Elliot from the future... Which is why he's allergic to himself in the present. (laughs) Intricate. I like it. What would it be called, though? I don't know. Flop cross? Flop jelly on? Mm -hmm. Flop bots? (laughs) Maybe just flop bots. I want to know the titles to all those other mech. If anyone knows the titles to those other crazy Japanese cartoony shows, please send them in because I want to know them. Please send them to Elliot. Send them to Elliot, courtesy of Dan McCoy. (laughs) (laughs) You send them to me. Like, yes, please send them to me, courtesy of your trash can uh, located. (laughs) but I uh, in the corner of your room, uh, Wait, so whatever to, your so street address is. So they have to print it out is, and then put it in the trash USA. can? <laughs> yep. One, two, three, Crap Street, Garbage Town, USA. So I appreciate that. I like the I, I like this Flopbots summary. I wonder if we'll be able to get the DuckTales license from Disney to do it. Because <laughs> if Stuart's involved, there's going to be a lot of sex in that cartoon. Yeah, this... So this is you're you're gonna be Japanese anime robots just sort of hanging around Duckburg? No, no, we're the pilots and we're fighting crime in Duckburg. Just okay, but separate crime, from... which is I think entirely just the Beagle Boys. Yeah, Jubin life is like a hurricane uh, here in <laughs> Duckburg. Yeah, I, I guess I riding yeah, in an aeroplane. No, race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. It's kind of a letdown. It's a duck blur. If, that's just... I recognize that it's a lot. It's like a, it's like solving a mystery, but I still don't believe why <laughs> there would be a, why it almost seems like there's a separate world going on in Duckburg if you're also mechs fighting crime. Yeah, it's called a city. There's lots of people going, things do, happening there. I thought Duckburg was just, was just like, was basically just Scrooge McDuck's mansion and his money pit. It is a money bustling bolt. metropolis. Yeah. It's the main economic and cultural center for the United States of Duckmerica. And, uh, <laughs> Duckmerica? What I understand is why it's I mean, called Duckburg. You've got Duckburg Gyro Gearloose, uh, who invented a new metal that would be great for trains. Yeah, but, no but the, but the government of Duckburg doesn't want him yeah. to use it because it's unfair competition. I don't. I, is Uncle does Uncle Scrooge just <laughs> abandon Duckburg then? Well, is one, he... it's Scrooge McDuck is not called Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> I, I, it is called <laughs> uh, I guess he is called Uncle Scrooge. Uh, they call yeah Huey, Louie, and Dewey call him Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> and, and <laughs> Huey, Louie, they, they, they Huey, Louie, and Dewey should be call him. No, they call him Great Uncle Scrooge. Yeah. Donald, Uncle Donald is like he's that's un- the weird thing. Well, maybe Donald no, they call and him Uncle Scrooge, Scrooge are sure. brothers, yeah. and Donald is just aged much better than wow. Scrooge. 
But then Donald says Uncle Scrooge. Yeah, Donald says Uncle Scrooge. They're, I don't know that they're really related there to Uncle are, Scrooge. No, they're, I, think, I mean, like, the, in the Karl Barks comics, there are certain plots where it seems like Donald is just waiting around for Scrooge to die to inherit his Well, who wouldn't? Scrooge is, a, <laughs> Scrooge is a jerk and a miser, and he's rich. So I hope that answers your question about <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> and, just, and Scrooge eventually goes to Gyro's Gulch, where he can start his own society. So uh, this letter is titled... Hodgemania running wild. Uh-oh. Uh, I was reading John Hodgman's new book, That Is All, when I came across a startling passage sandwiched in between his proposal for a competitive hoarding reality show and a profile of the great actor and professional sinister fair facial hair model Ian McShane. I found this entry for his end-of-the-world day calendar for the date of April 28, 2012. For those of you playing the Flophouse Home Edition, this is located on page... 728. Well, or tw- 26, It's sorry. weird that the Flophouse Home Edition in- involves having to own a copy of John Hodgman's book. <laughs> uh, I would have thought the nude paintings of you guys were the weirdest part of it. Page well, yeah, 726. You have to paint them yourself. That's, that's, the that's a weird thing. Yeah. And I quote, Contrary to predictions, the 10-day night ends after only four days. Dr. Elliot Kalin, author of the pro- popular Ragnarok denial blog and skeptic, writes that this is proof of the coming global super apocalypse is nothing but a liberal mind hoax. Yes, I agree. It, it makes you wonder what their real agenda is. Why do they want us to abandon our homes so that the minds can live in them? If this was any other minor television personality, I would have passed it off as a playful name drop. But given Elliot's rough-and-tumble history with Mr. <laughs> Hodgman, it makes me fear that he is only stepping up the level of sophistication exhibited in his bullying. Gone are the days of the Hodge simply stealing Elliot's lunch money and defacing his Marvel Comics action figures, making his tenure with The Daily Show a daily battle of wills. Yeah, he did throw his shoes at me once, too. <laughs> He's now gone so far as to misappropriate Elliot's very identity for his own greedy purposes. I fear that if this is not addressed soon, it will escalate until one day Elliot w- wakes up groggy and confused and handcuffed to a radiator in the basement of Hodgman's observatory. Maybe the Flophouse should invest in a Flophouse junkyard guard dog to keep its host safe from the wiles of deranged millionaires. That's from Aaron, last name withheld, and he says, P.S. Dan may be the Cyclops of the group, but let's not forget that Cyclops gets both Jean Grey and Ember Frost and also gets to wear cool sunglasses all the time, <laughs> even at night, which is the coolest time for wearing sunglasses. <laughs> very true. And in fact, I want you not to worry, uh, Hodgman and I... Uh, do have a somewhat sinister game of cat and mouse going on, uh, but I was flattered that when he put me in his book, um, and uh, it was very nice to finally have my anti-Ragnarok views put into print and given some kind of credence in the lamestream pro-end-of-the-world media, but uh, mostly I want to talk about that sunglasses at night thing, which I guess is true. Here's the question, though. It's already harder for Cyclops to see anything because everything looks red to him. It's like he's wearing Bono's sunglasses. At night, wouldn't it be even harder? Dan? Doesn't Uh, Cyclops always see red, though? Because he's always blasting out that red beam. But I don't know what that looks like to him. But I feel like it can't look clear. So you're saying everything looks red to him? All I feel the time like, anyway. regardless of his glasses, he'd always be seeing red. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, that's also because he's just mad all the time. That's also, yeah, literally a metaphor. Like a bull. I he, would. He, he, that's why his catchphrase: "You've got me seeing red, and I don't mean lasers." <laughs> it's a really confusing catchphrase. Yeah, a little bit because you have to know who he is and all his stuff before, <laughs> before that. He says just a bartender, as people who aren't aware of what he is. Yeah, I like the idea of a flop house home edition, where I, I imagine <laughs> it's some like some sort of fireball island. 
style uh, game <laughs> that has nothing to do with movies it's at really all. It's really expensive and never works right. <laughs> yeah, you guys just have to you just have some sort of island adventure that involves a lot of pieces. It has nothing to do with movies whatsoever. Yeah, let me reveal the secret of the Flophouse home game. All you need for it is a movie and someone else to talk to afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's and the extent of it. And I like the idea of me begging Emma Frost, uh, <laughs> a super villainess who just wears lingerie around. Yeah, Jean Grey you're not interested in. No, I'm interested in her, too. Oh, okay. We can work something out. Emma Frost is played by January Jones, though. Yeah. Yeah. That is a problem. Very quiet, stilted conversation. You could just assume that Emma Frost looks like um, Hollywood from Cool World because they're both cartoons. Uh, This last one is from Carl Last Name Withheld. I assume last name is Junior. And it it addresses – it has to do with our uh, (laughs) – Both of those need an S that we did not provide. It has to do with our recent live show, and I want to uh, I want to read it so we can give special thanks to him. But okay. uh, I also want to thank everyone who came out for the live show, which was a lot of fun, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. As I do. No, <laughs> you were not there. And I still want to thank the fans. He Sorry says, I, make, "I apologize for not making it." He says, "What's the address for sending U.S. mail to the floppers?" I tried mailing my pet parcel to the one two three Fake Street address from the Cowboys and Aliens podcast, <laughs> but the package was returned. Parentheses. I didn't really try try that. Parentheses. And I didn't really think you thought I'd really try that. Parentheses. I just thought I'd be. It'd be funny to hear Dan tried and stumble over the parentheses when he tried to read this letter. Parentheses. 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 Mission accomplished. Yeah, he nailed it. <laughs> Please be timely in your response, as I have in my possession an item vital to the success of your upcoming (laughs) live show. (laughs) Is your tongue drunk? (laughs) Which, alas, I won't be able to attend. Oh. From from reports of your last live show, which, alas, I also wasn't able to attend, I'm given to understand that you host a Flophouse trivia contest at the event. I have the perfect prize for you, and I'm willing to part with it for nothing. You see, my great love of the show convinced me that owning an authentic prop from Sorority Row was a good idea for all of ten minutes. Which, unfortunately, was just long enough for me to bid on such an item on eBay. Thus, in a way, it's your fault that I am now the not-proud of owner of Mickey's, parentheses, Max Hennard's, screen-used cell phone, complete with certificate of authenticity. And in a different but real and legally binding way, you're obligated to take the cell phone from me, <laughs> sign it and or its accompanying certificate, and give it out as a prize at the live event. Or, I guess, if this email or the prop doesn't get you in time, you could always make it part of the prize package for choosing Stuart's new sound. On the latter note, I suggest Stuart make the sound from that lollipop song from the movie Stand By Me whenever he's unsuccessful at halting a bad bit by asking, Is this a bit? Kind of an audible wink slash shrug to the listeners to say, hey, don't look at me. I tried. What sound is that? Is that uh, like pop? Okay. I don't know if the microphone I don't know if the mi- But it sounded that. like pop. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, we did receive that. And we wanted to thank Carl last night withheld. Yeah, thank you very much for donating what I assume you paid thousands of dollars mm-hmm. for. The real screen-used cell phone. A priceless piece of Hollywood history. Chaplin's hat and mm-hmm. Mary Pickford's jockstrap. The ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. And the ruby swiffers <laughs> from the maintenance closet of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, but we did give that All out. The way. From the DeLorean, from Back to the Future. <laughs> to uh, Dolores. It's really hard to think of a rhyme for Dolores, the cleaning lady. <laughs> from the set of Back to the Future. 
Darth Vader's helmet to Mark Maber, the plumber on the set of Star Wars. Um, it's yeah. weird that the people who work in maintenance on movies yeah. become props. <laughs> but it's so and, the, yeah. and, and their names rhyme with actual props. <laughs> yeah, but if you go to Planet Hollywood, you'll see right there. Uh, their, money, their mummified remains. <laughs> sometimes they're still alive and you can... You know, you tap on the glass and they go, rah, yeah. rah. I, mean, there's I swept up the cut hair on Ghostbusters. There's a sign saying, please don't tap on that glass, Elliot. I mean, come on. <laughs> sure. You see there's glass, a, you're going to tap on that's it. The yeah. no, that's the That's Elliot's you motto. You always say, I'd tap that, and then you do. <laughs> that's your why Elliot's always tapping on our glasses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sees it's got to tap. But um, glasses are all fogged up. My hand's all cut open with a blood bag. Oh, I but, forgot uh, I made you very injurious. Carl, uh, thank you for purchasing a prize that we did, in fact, hand out at the live show. We did. Show. It, uh, we Ooh, asked a exciting. Flophouse trivia exciting. question that got a correct answer. And, uh, yeah, and some lucky owner mm-hmm. now has a Flophouse-owned phone. And we did a hilarious Sorority Row-related uh, bit. Um, About how we couldn't remember who that character was yeah. <laughs> or when they used the phone. Yeah. Uh, but you at home can now, if you have that uh, prop, reenact scenes from Sorority Row I mean, to your heart's content. I guess you could reenact them with any phone. <laughs> you reenact <laughs> that one scene. <laughs> Quiet. But thank you very much for sending us that. Uh, and in return, Dan, what are we going to do for him? Uh, we're going to thank him on this episode of The Flophouse. Thanks a lot, buddy. You were all about thanking people today, and now suddenly you're blank. Well, honestly, you I kind of felt like you guys have been resisting that so much that I just feel kind of kind of wanted now. I don't know. I don't feel like a part of this regular podcast. Oh well, Flophouse listeners, write in. Tell us if you want Juven to be a part of the Flophouse podcast. And uh, if you say yes, then we'll kick Stuart out. It'll be me from now on. No, out. that's not huh? how it works. I, think that's, that's I didn't realize probably. that the Stuart Wellington gig was one of the most coveted in show business. Yeah. Everyone wants it, and I want it more than most. <laughs> <laughs> not more than everyone yeah. else, just more than most. Well, what are you willing to do for it? I'm willing to do most anything. <laughs> not everything, but most anything. I mean, within reason, I'm not, it's you know, I'm vague. not going to. I mean, it's, it's, it's very all-encompassing, but very vague. Powerfully vague. Time. Powerfully vague, yeah. Uh, so, uh, quickly. Quickly. Uh, quickly should, Down Under. Quickly Down Under, we should recommend films that we actually liked, like Quickly Down Under. Yeah. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of Atlas Shrugged. If you're going to see any Australian Western starring Tom Selleck, make it Quickly Down Under. Yeah. If you are if you wish that Tom Selleck was a couple of mice, make it The Rescuers Down Under. Mm-hmm. If you wish that he was a guy who invented uh, uh, the theory of relativity, make it young Einstein. And if you want to see Einstein die, (laughs) make it old Einstein. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't want to see Einstein die, but you still want to see him old, make it IQ with Walter Matthau. (laughs) And if you want to see Walter Matthau, not as Einstein, but just as a guy... But still old, make it I'm Not Rappaport. <laughs> now, if you want to see a movie with Michael Rappaport in it, I'm Not Rappaport is not the movie to go to. <laughs> Depending on what you want to see him do. If you want to see Michael Rappaport drown in the backyard pool, make it Copland. <laughs> but if you'd rather he was the guy who was taunting uh, <laughs> taunting Pat Oswalt over sports trivia, make it... Was it Big Fan? Yes. <laughs> make it Big Fan. Uh... Now, if you're interested in fans... There's a number of movies you can see, but I'd recommend watching episodes of Saturday Night Live from the early to mid-90s, where the music guests play in front of giant fans. (laughs) 
So, um, if you're interested in guests in movies, I'll re- I'll, rec- I'll recommend Christopher Guest. <laughs> I feel like uh, recommending actual movies is almost uh, extraneous at this point. Well, I do want to recommend one actual movie. All right, I watched recently watched for the first time. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, the early Martin Scorsese movie with Ellen Burstyn and Chris Christopherson and Jodie Foster as a young girl has a very funny part in it, uh, and it was really good. Uh, I'd been not interested in seeing it for a long time, but now I wish I'd seen it earlier because I think it might be one of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies now, to be honest, after having seen it. Wow. Dan, do you have anything? Um, Alice doesn't live here anymore. I don't know that I actually do have any. I I see fewer and fewer movies nowadays. I did uh, I did see Prometheus, and I know that that's been getting a lot of sort of mixed feelings on the internet. But I think on balance, it's definitely a movie worth seeing. There's a lot of weird character choices that people make. It does not hold together necessarily as a story or as a prequel to the movie Alien, but as a movie that uh, creates a consistent uh, creepy mood and has beautiful images in it that I'm still thinking about. Uh, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, think, I think it's definitely worth seeing. So I'll I'll say that. Uh, I haven't seen a movie recently that I've enjoyed. I've seen uh, I saw The Dictator and I saw um, another another not very good movie that I I literally just forgot the name of right now as I'm talking. It just came out last week, and I want to say that it was Snow White and the Huntsman. It was not. It was the other one that came out. Moonrise Kingdom. Yes, it was Moonrise Kingdom, which I thought did not, uh, which I thought is beginning to show stagnation in Wes Anderson's style. Uh, It's still good, but sort of. So the kind same. of a backhanded recommendation. Not really recommendation. I would recommend <laughs> if I can. Can I recommend classics on this? Yeah, sure. whatever. I would recommend. Whatever whatever you want. I just recommended a movie from almost forty years. That's ago. That's a good point. Yeah, I keep I keep confusing Alice doesn't live here anymore with that movie movie where where that girl th- flies out the window. Alice. No, that's Alice's, that after school special. Alice Helen Hunt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is that? <laughs> where she that's gets, still where she from Alice, years and years ago. I don't Alice understand. is involved in there somewhere. I mean, like, there's also not a movie that's in it. That's, like, <laughs> that's true. Show. My misinterpretation also doesn't follow the logic. But I, every time I hear that, I always think of that scene. What is that scene? That doesn't I don't remember the name. It's an after school special. That's what it She's was. She's on like Angel Desk. I yeah, recommend. Right? I recommend that after school special <laughs> where Helen Hunt jumps through a window <laughs> after being on PCP. I'll, okay. I'll recommend that. It's got a lot of lessons. Uh, in not using acid. And, or, and, and, no, acid is a totally different thing. But I think just in general, <laughs> the lessons you learn from that can you be applied. Can extrapolate. Yeah. And also windows, say. how breakable they are. How breakable, how you should not run through them, mm-hmm. if you're, especially if you're above one-story floors. I think a lot of that stuff is, is, is timeless. <laughs> okay. <sighs> so, guys, I guess this is it. Hey, let's shrug this one off, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With my new dance, the shrug. <laughs> Do it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> oh, Can you see look it, at, listeners? Look at oh, it. the elephant does not like that so, dance. Oh, that's so, he's mad. He's <laughs> mad at me. I'm going to stop now. Uh, so much deep shoulder action, though, in those few seconds before the Elliot, before the, before the Elliot, before the <laughs> elephant got enraged. And yeah, the Elliot yeah, was yeah. getting pretty enraged, too. <laughs> it's just like that hit porn film, Deep Shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> the woman who has her, her clitoris is in her shoulders. <laughs> so people have to give her deep tissue massages for her to have orgasms. Uh, good value, though. Yeah, I mean, you just go to, you know... I mean, it, 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 it teaches you how to do a massage, yeah. It yeah. teaches you how to... It's a really good instructional video. Good it's value not for erotic. the movie, too. It's like 80 hours long. Yeah. But it just costs the same amount as a normal movie. <laughs> 
All right. Well, this has evolved into total nonsense. So before we just start making sounds, uh, we should probably uh, sign off. For the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm still Elliot Kalin. I'm Shubin Parang, sitting in permanently for Stuart Wellington. No, I nope. don't. That's, not at all. Okay. See you next week. No, not. Good night. Actually have saw, I actually saw a trailer for that movie, I think, because I remember seeing yeah. the part where she has a gun at, coming out of her butt.